0: I am sort of on a mini-mission in life right now. don't know how long it will last. But it involves a, a phrase or a quote that I shared last week. And I actually shared it Friday. So if you were here last week and if you were at Jenny's service this past Friday, you're going to hear it again. But you know, sometimes redundancy isn't a bad thing. Sometimes it takes three or four times before we actually hear something. It's actually from a book by Krista Tippett called Becoming Wise. And in the opening pages of her book, she has this to say, and this is what has grabbed my attention. She writes this, the discourse of our common life inclines toward despair. In this immersive 24 news cycle, we internalize the deluge of bad news as the norm. The real truth of who we are and what we're up against as a species. But our world, then she writes, is abundant with beauty and courage and grace. That's the phrase right there that has seemed to grab me. Our world is abundant with beauty and courage and grace. Ever since I have read that, I have tried to look at the world with those eyes To look for the places of beauty, to look for those places of courage, to look for those places of grace, and to see it as abundant rather than trying to see it as scarce. But if our world is abundant with all of this, then why don't we experience it? Could it be that we view the world or we see the world in a different scripted way? That we view it from a perspective of scarcity rather than abundance, a view of not enough? are not enough for everyone, including myself? I'm going to take a risk here. I'm going to read you a quote, which is a little bit long. But I say it to risk because I realize that in the reading of it, sometimes we can tend to sort of wander. But it's a quote from a book called The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist. And here's what she has to say about this whole idea of not enough and scarcity and abundance. Quote, No matter who we are or what our circumstances, we swim in conversations about what there isn't enough of. I see it in myself, for me and many of us. Our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether it's true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the days and hours of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, worrying about what we don't have enough of. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough rest. We don't have enough exercise. We don't have enough work. We don't have enough profits. We don't have enough power. We don't have enough wilderness. We don't have enough weekend. Of course, we don't have enough money ever. We're not thin enough. We're not smart enough. We're not pretty enough. We're not fit enough. We're not educated or successful enough or rich enough ever. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we are already inadequate we're already behind losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds race with a litany of what we didn't get or didn't get done that day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and we wake up to that reverie of lack. I got your attention yet? She goes on. This mantra of not enough carries the day and becomes a kind of default setting for our thinking about Everything from the cash in our pocket to the people we love or the value of our own lives, what begins as a simple expression of the hurried life or even the challenged life grows into this great justification for an unfulfilled life. It becomes the reason we can't have what we want or be who we want to be. It becomes the reason we can't accomplish the goals we set for ourselves, the reason our dreams can't come true, the reason other people disappoint us, the reason we compromise our integrity or we give up on ourselves or we write others off. And then she adds this, and then I'll be done with the quote. It is an unquestioned, sometimes even unspoken, defining condition of life. And that's what concerns me, unquestioned. It's not even that we necessarily experience a lack of something, but that scarcity as a chronic sense of inadequacy about life becomes the very place from which we think and act and live in the world. It shapes our deepest sense of self and becomes the lens through which we experience life. Through that lens, our expectations, our behavior, and their consequences become sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy of inadequacy, lack, and dissatisfaction. So, how many agree with Lynn Twist and the soul of money and not enough? I can't speak for you, but I know that she really resonates with me. And what is challenging is that even with all of that being true it's my sense that Jesus's underlying assumption was that of abundance and that the disciples even their underlying assumption was that of scarcity so maybe we're not that far off the lens through which we view the world greatly determines how we see and understand the world and how we participate in the world let's go to that thing about scarcity our world suffers when we view life through this scarcity lens of not enough. Our relationships suffer when we view them through the lens of not enough and scarcity. Our sense of community with one another suffers when we view it through this lens of scarcity. Our souls suffer and a shrivel when we view this scarcity lens. We, we hoard, we compete with one another, we sometimes withhold, we get stingy, stingy with resources, stingy with encouragement, stingy with affirmation and appreciation, stingy, with our gifts just yesterday and it's almost natural it's like a default setting in our culture yesterday at Chad's graduation you know we got in there about an hour beforehand and sitting there waiting because they opened the doors and everybody just kind of pushes in and we grab our seats and then they announce we've got water and lemonade we got cookies cookies we've got cookies so I sat there about a half hour and I think and I'm kind of thirsty I'm kind of hungry so I go to the back hallway and I find the cookies. And I mean to tell you, there are cookies galore. There is just about five or six of those round catering things of cookies with more over here. There was tons of glasses of lemonade. They were not going to run out. So why I hoarded up on about four or six cookies, I have no idea. I just felt if I didn't get my cookies, they're all going to be gone. So I'm like, you know, elbowing and getting in front of people, grabbing my cookies. And I come back and I sat down. I, Linda looked at me and Aaron looked at me and... Even Marissa looked at me like, so you got a lot of cookies there. And I'm like, (laughs) there's people everywhere. Grab your cookies. But it was almost that default setting of, there's just not enough. I've got to get my chocolate chip cookie. And I sat down and I began thinking about this sermon and I thought, these are just cookies. But we live in this kind of scarcity mentality. If I don't get mine, someone else is going to get it. If I don't get this, someone else is going to get it. If I don't get this, there's not going to be enough. And then we live life with this kind of comparison-based identity and with this mentality and this mindset, and we live in distrust and fear and suspicion, and we kind of live for ourselves. There were plenty of cookies. I think I could have gone back and got more if I wanted to. But I had a spiritual discipline and a spiritual moment there, a come-to-Jesus moment, and he said, you've had enough cookies already. scarcity is basically the complete opposite of what we see in the witness of Scripture, the message of Jesus and this description of God's kingdom. In all of these areas, the operative mindset and reality is abundance. The opening chapters of the Bible talk about abundance. Genesis, God created the world, and God provided everything humanity needed and creatures needed. Everything we needed was there. The Psalms talk about the abundant, steadfast love of God. Parables in the Gospels tell of Banquets with more than enough food for everyone, workers being paid generously, even if they only work half a day, and sons coming home to their fathers, who they rejected a long time ago, and the fathers opening their arms wide open. In the book of Acts, the early Christian community pooled their resources, sold their possessions so they could share with those in need in their community. And then the apostle Paul described churches taking up offerings for other churches. And then, of course, Jesus' words, I have come that they may have life and what? abundance. Thank you. Have it abundantly. Jesus wasn't necessarily talking about stuff. Wasn't necessarily talking about money if that at all. He was talking about having a view and a paradigm and a view of life that everything you need is in relationship with me. Everything you will ever need is living in connection with the kingdom of God in in partnership and being immersed in God's rule and God's reign and God's kingdom, you will have everything you need, everything from your basic needs to love and acceptance. The story that uh, Ray read, story of Zacchaeus, probably just a very simple, maybe an all-too-familiar story because I'm sure that when it was being read, if you're like me, All of a sudden, you're hearing Zacchaeus was a wee, and you're singing the Sunday school song because it's just so familiar. But it's so familiar, we miss the power of this story. And I want to suggest very quickly three conversions that Zacchaeus experienced on this way to viewing life through this lens of abundance. The first is this Zacchaeus experienced a conversion of the heart. His heart was changed. His heart was transformed. It was changed and transformed by the accepting and welcoming love of Jesus. Back then, if you were going to go to someone's house to have dinner... By the way, when we sang that in Jamaica as kids, we never said, I will come to your house for dinner. I'll come to your house for tea. That's just what Jamaicans did. They had that sort of British influence. So I always sang the song, I will come to your house for tea. So whether Jesus was going to come to your house for tea or sweet tea or even dinner... The idea was this. Jesus was saying, I fully accept you. I fully welcome you. I fully acknowledge your existence. You matter. And that was key for Zacchaeus. Because Zacchaeus was a guy who had swindled everybody. He was a tax collector who was skimming off the top. His whole goal in life was to get enough for him because there wasn't enough to go around. He was hated by everybody. He was disregarded by everybody. But that didn't matter because Zacchaeus simply wanted to get what was his And Jesus says, I'm coming to your place. I accept you and I welcome you. And it transformed the heart. It converted the heart of this man. And you'll see in a few moments how. But I think many hearts and souls today are impoverished and they live with this scarcity mentality because they're starved of love, they're starved of acceptance, and they're starved of grace. And when we can't feel that in our life... When we do not feel fully accepted, fully welcomed, and fully identified in the love of God, we are hungry, and we grab, and we hoard, and we're afraid there's just not enough to go around. Hearts are starved, and we compete with everyone with the aim of securing our identity. We compare ourselves with everyone, and when we start comparing, we start grabbing. So Zacchaeus had this conversion of the heart. He was a changed person. And then he had this conversion of how he viewed the world, and that's the second conversion of how he viewed the world. Zacchaeus no longer viewed the world as something you compete or take from. He now viewed the world as a place to which he could give. That was this point that we often miss, this huge moment where Zacchaeus is, I'm no longer a taker, I'm a giver. I'm no longer someone who's going to compete, I'm going to contribute. I'm no longer just trying to steal and hoard from people. I'm just going to give back. The world no longer existed to satisfy his greed and his empty heart. He now existed to give back to the world and to contribute to life in this positive manner. That's huge. And then it's a conversion, the third one, of how we live. His heart was converted, and then it was converted of how he viewed the world and how he lived. In other words, Zacchaeus didn't keep it at a theoretical level. He got practical. Listen to this. Half of his possessions he would give to the poor. And anyone he defrauded, he'd pay back four times as much. That's huge. He just isn't saying, I'm sorry. He just isn't apologizing. He's backing his repentance with action. He's backing his conversion with actual change and action. And the conversion of his heart not only changed how he viewed the world, but it changed how he lived in the world with people and changed him into this generous, abundant soul that began giving back to people in a way that not only spoke from who he was, but spoke who the kingdom was and in some ways made up for his own life in the past. It's this vision of generosity that changed Zacchaeus, and he became not a grabber anymore. He became a giver. He became a person that no longer was just trying to hoard everything and take everything. He became a person that just contributed back in this positive way. It wasn't scarcity for him anymore. It was abundance. And if you will, reckless abundance. I will say this. If you read the Gospels carefully, if you read the parables, God is not careful about his love. It is reckless love to the nth degree. It is just all over the place with people. God doesn't portion it out. It just flows out in ways that can't be measured. So when we think of generosity, maybe the first thing we think of is money, but I want to offer you these things as we close. It encompasses so much more. We can be generous with affirmation and appreciation. Often we hold back affirmation and appreciation because we feel we're in competition with others, our egos get in the way, and consequently we withhold. But how many people in our life would begin to blossom and flourish if they began to receive affirmation and expressions of appreciation? Maybe a family member, maybe a coworker, maybe your spouse or your partner would actually begin to flourish if they actually began to hear those expressions of affirmation and appreciation. Yesterday, we had a moment, a profound moment for us. Chad wanted we actually wanted to meet Chad's advisor. They call him Dr. B. It's because he's from Brazil and no one can pronounce his last name, so he goes by Dr. B. He's a full professor there. And we went down to the front and just wanted to meet him because he had worked with Chad for his master's and, and had been very good for him. And as we got down there, uh, I introduced myself. I said, "Hey, Doctor B, I'm Scott Wagner. I'm Chad's dad." Boom! The guy was all over me, hugging me, thanking me for producing him, <laughs> for bringing him into this world. And Chad was right there, and he just spoke so profoundly appreciative and affirming of Chad. And I, I, I kind of was embarrassed because I said, "Well, you you can direct it toward him," and he did. But I began to see, I really began to see how he did it these last two years. It was partly his self-discipline and his own willingness to do it, but in large part it came from this man who was willing in that moment, in that place, in that role that he had to affirm and appreciate his students and tell them what they did well. When we're generous with that, it's amazing what people do and who they become. We can be generous listeners and offer what's called generous listening, this kind of listening that seeks to understand the other person, to get to know them, to listen beyond the words. We can be generous with our presence, offer our attentiveness. When someone's needing a presence, they don't necessarily need us to fix the problem. They just need our presence. We can be generous with our love, our compassion, and acceptance. We can be generous with our openness to understand those who disagree with us, Provide a generous space in which conversations take place without trying to convince the other that they are wrong. Now, I'll bring this back around to Mother's Day because I have at least one person in this world, one I know of, that actually listens to the podcast every Sunday when it's put up on the website, on Facebook. And I know who that one person is. It's my mom. No one else may listen, but I know she does. And it could even be my worst sermon ever. But I'm going to hear what? This is your best sermon you've ever given. And she could be lying, but I don't really care because there are times I need to hear that. Just mental note to all of you, okay? So what I want to say, Mom, if you're hearing this right now, first of all, happy Mother's Day. I love you very much. We love you very much. Carl is sitting right here, but I said it first. (laughs) We love you very much. But if there's any quality to excess that I know about my mom, and I think this is the one time my sister and I will agree, it is the spirit of generosity, of time, of love, of affirmation, of sometimes even saying to us, You know, you really were right when we really were wrong. But she's just living out that generous spirit. And in some ways, in many ways, I know it has affected me and influenced me even today with my kids. I don't always get it right. I probably get it more wrong than I get it right, but it's in the back of my mind. The generous spirit matters. Whether it's stuff, whether it's money, it's affirmation, it's praise, it's love, that really matters. I go back to Krista Tippett earlier where she talks about our world is abundant with beauty and courage and grace. And I think it is, but we have to have eyes to see it. We have to want to look for it, but it has to start with our hearts as well. So I just pray. I just pray. I'm never going to read Krista Tippett's quote again. I'm done. All right. If you want to copy it, I'll send it to you. But I just pray that you and I, and even we as Deep River Friends, can always be a generous place, a place of abundance, where not only do we see the beauty and the courage and grace in people, but that we are transmitters of beauty and courage and grace to this world. Because we, like Zacchaeus, have been touched by the generous grace of God, and it changes us, and it converts us, and it transforms us. And we are now people of abundance and generosity.